Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport, for whom Catherine Whitaker has been broadcasting all the time, every five seconds on the telly, uh, telling people about stuff that's going on at the US Open. And we've had another busy day, and Catherine's been in the player box talking to Pat Cash, who's coaching Coco Vandeweghe. I mean, is there nowhere you get to go, Catherine? You get to go everywhere. I have to say, getting to speak to a player's coach in the player box, you know, as they're knocking, warming up for a, a Grand Slam quarterfinal is pretty cool, especially given it's Pat Cash, who is just fantastically candid. I mean, not not in an indiscreet way, just so candid, you know. There's nothing I feel like I can't ask him. He's very upfront about uh, her nerve levels and nerve levels relative to previous matches. He said, I'm less nervous than the previous match, but she's more nervous. He said, you know... I as far as like, this was before she beat Karolina Pliskova in, in straight sets, a, a, an immense achievement. Um, you know, he said, I feel like my job's done. That doesn't mean I don't want to do more. But he said, you know, we discussed that my job was to get her into a position to win Grand Slams. And he said, I feel like I've done that. She is in a position where she can win this tournament. If she does it, it's up to her to do it. Not that he won't continue to, to help her and do what he can, but he feels like he's put her in that position and and that was before beating the world number one yeah and that's why we're talking about this because that is exactly what has transpired this afternoon we come to you between sessions at the moment we've just witnessed Coco Vandeweghe beating Karolina Pliskova in straight sets and then Rafael Nadal putting the beat down on Andre Rublev as uh, Brad Gilbert would say and uh, yeah we're waiting now for the night session uh, I'll be back a little bit later uh, with an update on what went on there but this afternoon I mean first of all Catherine before we get on to those matches we had some some breaking news today which is that Andy Murray has more or less called time on his year and I I think that that is what we expected and I think it's probably sensible don't you oh yeah it's very unsurprising breaking news he hasn't quite put it as decisively as you know uh Djokovic and and uh Vavrinka have done with their announcements, but 
he's pretty much he's ruled out all the events that he played at the end of last year to get to world number one and and have by doing that he won't qualify for the world tour finals i don't think so even though he didn't mention the world tour finals i think by implication that's not on the agenda either therefore season over and and he did he he said i I intend to play brisbane i believe he signed a three-year deal in brisbane and then uh, the australian open so that is when hopefully we expect to see him next and um, he has a great team around him I trust that he makes the right decisions um, about his his body so the fact that he's made this decision by definition I think means it's the right one I know a lot of I've spoken to a couple of journalists who whose livelihoods depend on the the fitness of, of Andy Murray to to a certain extent and uh, they were seeing it as a positive announcement in the sense that he isn't planning to have surgery they think that indicates a good thing i think that could go either either way you could interpret that as this isn't something that can be be fixed with surgery it's a chronic potentially degenerative i I don't know thing you know like like uh like rafa's knees and the tendonitis you know there's no surgery that can fix that he's it's just been about managing it all these years so Look, we're we're reading between lines, but there, I think there are two ways that you can look at the announcement in, in in terms of the long term. But short to medium term, we'll see him in Australia, I think, and that's good news. Let's hear what Max Fernandez got to say about it. I spoke to him for BBC Radio Five Live on their coverage last night, and uh, yeah, he was not surprised by the news. This is what he thought. It's unfortunate, obviously, that he has um, that he has an injury, but I think. Uh, yeah, you got to get ready. I mean, he's going to go, he only has about three or four more years, most probably on tour. So um, the next three or four years is going to be big. Um, I'm sure he wants to rack up a few more majors, and he needs to be 100% healthy. And as we have seen uh, Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal do, you can improve. Even though you're injured, you can improve because you get to practice when you want, um, how you want, and uh, you can work on some of your weaknesses. So I think it's a good decision. And you mentioned those two. They both did that. We've also seen... Stan Wawrinka, obviously, has, he's had a major surgery, but Novak Djokovic as well. They've all basically done the same thing. I swear, I think maybe that they have looked at Federer and Nadal and, uh, and realized that, wow, this is not such a big deal. I mean, being injured is a big deal, but taking four, five, six months off from playing matches is not going to hurt me. And uh, I think most players should most probably take some more time off. But, but yeah, it's unfortunate that it's happening during the U.S. Open, for sure. We don't have uh, five out of the top ten players, but but at the same time, if they can all come back healthy and better players just like Federer and Nadal did, then uh, we're in for a good 2018. Murray's decided he's not going to have surgery, at least he hasn't mentioned surgery. He's mentioned rest and rehab. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine, he at the eight, he's 30 years of age, could you imagine him still being a Grand Slam title contender in the future? I would think that Murray loves the game enough where I have no... Um, he has no problems coming back. I think it, it sounds, and when he talks about tennis, that he's he's very passionate about every aspect of the game, about training, about playing matches, about tactics. So I think that, uh, yeah, if he got that kind of passion, I'm sure he's going to come back, and, and the, the goal would be to win a major once he gets back. So Mats Verlander, they're always interesting, and it it's quite interesting actually canvassing the view of former players because so many of them will have gone through this kind of thing, whether it's hip, back, knee, whatever it is. There are not too many. I mean, Mats is, is probably one of the, the one of the healthiest-looking former players around. I mean, he, frankly, puts us all to shame, doesn't he, with how fresh he looks all the time. 
Absolutely, but when standing still, he does. But he's got a big old limp, and he's got issues with his back. He still plays a lot, you know. He, he's um, he, he's by no means an invalid, but he he shows many signs of a year of a, a career, a life of immense physical exertion, and that was before the game got anywhere near as physical as it is now. You know, Boris Becker's just got himself a new ankle to go with his new hips. And he's on crutches at the moment. Everywhere Boris goes, he's he's walking around on, on crutches. Uh, we sat next to him in the uh, the media dining area yesterday and he, he was putting his foot up on a, on a chair. I mean, he's actually now, he reckons, probably going to end up being hopefully in as good a shape as he's been in for a long long time because of all the, the work he's had done but my goodness it's it, it is effectively reconstructing a body yeah i mean he, he said that we're now going into to the to the depths of, of boris becker's medical records but uh, it, ankle ankle reconstruction replacement ankles is a very new surgery and all these other things that have gone wrong with his body have been because of the ankle issue you know one thing gets out of line and it provokes lots of other things into into misalignment and um i know it hit the more the more at the center of your body the more at your core the closer to your core the injury is the more likely it is to do that so hip is a dodgy one from that perspective um but what can he do certainly the words that andy murray uttered in his statement were positive you would expect that but you know, he hopes to make a full recovery and be able to compete for, for major titles again in the future. We, we, we hope he does, as, as we do with all of these guys who've called an end to their year prematurely. The three-year the three deal in Brisbane is at least promising. I know it doesn't mean that much, because it's not like if he announced his retirement in February, they could say, hang on a minute, <laughs> we, we've got, you've got to come back in the next two years and play Brisbane. I don't care what you do the rest of the year. I, I know... That doesn't mean that much, but that could be looked upon as a positive thing. We'll take anything we can get (laughs) just at the moment. Um, But, yeah, Andy Murray is out for the time being, and we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see how how he is. The tennis today was rather more uplifting than that, Um, and I thought Coco Vandewey was superb today. We have a new world number one in Garbin Yamagarutha, not in the way that she would have wanted to have got to that point I'm sure she would have rather finished it on court but the fact of the matter is she now will have more points than anybody else after this tournament Karolina Pliskova losing to Coco Vandewey she would have needed to get to the final to retain her world number one ranking Pliskova but Vandewey really just just excelled today and she she's dealing with the moments she's into a semi-finals on her home court it's a big deal and she does not shrink she does not shrink, that's for sure. But she does get nervous. I found that very humanising about her, seeing um, how uh, how tight and nervous she has looked um, in moments on the court. And uh, there's no doubt, you know, serving out the match, that right arm was incredibly tight today, but she managed to do it. Um, it was a very topsy-turvy second set in particular, lots of exchanges of breaks and the sort of set which could send your mind a, a wandering and a spiralling. But uh, the, this work that she's doing with a psychological coach that, that Pat Cash has suggested, I really think that's that's doing the business. And um, I don't know, there's something about, about the way Pat talks about their relationship and, and you know, even just sort of, being in the box and all his all her family being that they've all they've obviously got immense respect for him and their relationship and and um what they're doing and I don't know it just feels really right I remember being a bit perplexed when that um 
coaching partnership was announced, but it, it something feels really right about it to me, and I'm not necessarily saying she's she's going to win this tournament, but she certainly could. The thing with the two of them is, for me, is that they're not establishment figures, either one of them. They, they're not necessarily part of the group that you could sometimes see them... I can imagine sitting on their own in, in, in player lounges because they don't necessarily just want to walk the same direction as everybody else. Pat Cash is sometimes, has been over the years, a divisive figure. I, we get on really well with him, certainly in, in the broadcasting um, commentary boxes. I, I've always liked Pat. I, I think he sometimes might make wrong decisions or put his foot in it or say something out of turn, but I know the guy's got a good heart. I know that. And and I'm really chuffed for him. Incidentally, on the subject of, of Pat Cash, he is one of the candidates for induction into the International Tennis Hall of Fame alongside Anders Yared, Tom Ocker, Michael Stick, and Helena Sakova. So congratulations to all of those for their candidacy. But I, I've always thought Pat as well, from the days when he coached Mark Filippoussis and Greg Rosetsky, I've always thought this guy is somebody who has something to offer. He does think about tennis very deeply. You can he really breaks it down. Yeah, he's somebody he he would have to to connect with the person on on quite a profound level, I think. And I, there are lots of players that he wouldn't connect with on a on a profound level. He's a very easy, unique individual, Pat. I echo all of all of the the things you've just said about him. I, I feel uh, exactly the same. And uh, he certainly wouldn't work in everyone's corner. That's for sure. But the the people that he does work with I think he will really work with and I, I, I have no idea if this will end up being long term she's a very seems a very combustible character you know as brilliantly as it's working right now it could just all go up in flames tomorrow I don't think it will but you know and as I referenced in podcast a couple of days ago he doesn't know her that well yet it's all going swimmingly but it is very early days and he's not pretending that it's going to be forever or that he knows her inside out and can predict her every movement and um, I love how frank he's being about all of that Now John McEnroe is not an official coach of Andre Rublev or, uh, but he has spent time with him as a youngster I, I, I saw him briefly coming out of the commentary box for, for Eurosport having covered the match between Nadal and Rublev and I got the sense he was, he was pretty disappointed with the way Rublev had performed today um i i didn't see the third set i commentated on the second for five live and i i found him incredibly exciting early on he was whipping winners but he was literally having to redline his game and take it to the limits in order to even win points against nadal today nadal i thought was excellent nadal was sensational it was statement tennis again from him bullying it was a statement to roger federer i felt and that i'm making no assumptions about roger federer being in that semi-final though i, I do think he's more likely to win than del potro but i'm not taking that for granted at all but for me that felt like a statement to roger federer the whole performance but he was just exposed as a bit one-dimensional Rublev I think and that doesn't mean he'll always be one-dimensional I don't think he is going to be a one-dimensional player I think he's talented enough that he can develop the other dimensions but it's not uncommon um, for that sort of that to be exposed in that sort of match is it young player um, gets into that position plays somebody of the experience and stature of Nadal and uh, gets hung out to dry a bit and I don't know, I kept on imagining Grigor Dimitrov watching the match somewhere and just feeling s- sad, 
Yeah, pretty deflated. He should have, I mean, really on paper, he should have been there today playing the Dow. He really should have been. And probably, with all due respect to Rublev, who absolutely deserved to be in that quarterfinal, and that performance against Dibitrov was lights out, brilliant. He deserved the victory 100%. But Dimitrov would have played a better match today against Nadal. Even with Nadal at his best, Dimitrov would have would have made that a better match. And had he been watching, he would have known that. He would have thought about Australia and known that had he just not lost to someone he shouldn't have lost to, the, the same old story with Dimitrov, he, you know, he's got what it takes in the big matches, but not to be. You and I spoke last night before, uh, in fact yesterday afternoon, before uh, all the play had taken place. I just wanted to find out your thoughts on that Venus Williams-Petra Kvitova match because it was it was pretty emotional stuff, really, wasn't it? On, on both sides of the net, I, I think whatever happened, it was going to be that, but uplifting at the same time. Yeah, it wasn't uplifting that one of them had to lose, I felt. I, it, it was um, a very exuberant Venus Williams afterwards. I thought what she said about the crowd on the court, you know, feeling all 23,000 of them behind her. She's not always... I have immense respect for her and I feel very emotional about her story and her journey on paper. But when I actually watch her out there on the court, I don't always feel the, the greatest of, of connections with her. But she she, she did that a bit in... Uh, after she won last night on the court and I thought that was great and what she said about Kvitova in her post-match press conference was was really nice and very heartfelt very genuine I think that's a man wheeling a bin just in case anyone's yeah we're sitting in the very salubrious uh, surrounds of the media restaurant garden here outside I'll tell you what when you look above it I can understand why the, the roof is closed today it is blustery it is slate grey skies we're looking over the practice courts there are great big puddles on them at the moment it's not a very tennessee summery <laughs> feel here in new york is it at the moment but there's a big uh, illuminated screen next to us which advertises practice times and of course when it's raining and and the, the practice courts are filled with puddle, puddles that schedule is not kept to but there is still a huddle of people <laughs> Uh, at the entrance to the practice courts that have been optimistically expecting Roger Federer to pop out there for the past two hours, despite the fact that the practice courts resemble a swimming pool. They did get one little glam- glimpse of uh, one Martin Del Potro, and I heard the Del Potro song in the distance just from a, a little gaggle of 20 people. Uh, right, Catherine, so the, other, the only other one we haven't talked about is the late night match last night. Kevin Anderson so amped up I've never seen him like that before he's so sort of unassuming isn't he most of the time but goodness me he was pumping his fist after every single point against Sam Querrey heck of a win yeah and I was one of those people that you referenced in your tweet that were being a pretty sniffy about I was, that, get, I was getting a bit wound up about it to be honest I mean and, it, and I'm not just directing that at you uh, look I I as a match-up, David, uh, nothing to do with the individuals involved. When you get a contrast of styles with with a big server like that, it can be great. But as a match-up on paper, it doesn't look great. And they played at Wimbledon, and by all accounts, that, that wasn't great. I, look, I don't disagree with you, but even when it was going on, there were still people sneering about it. And I, and, and I, I almost got the sense that people were trying to one-up each other on how sneery they could be about this match. If you actually just watched it, it was bloody good. It was. I fully admit that. It was great. That second set tie break was as dramatic as tennis gets. It, it was scintillating. I'm 
I, I was delighted that it was scintillating. However, I do stand by on uh, that it being a bit of a surprise how scintillating it was because on paper it's no, not I, great. I don't deny that it, it's that it's a surprise, but I feel that they. I actually do do think that they are not getting enough respect at at, at certain points. You know, I mean, yes, they're not exciting box office charismatic so what you like but they they deserve credit for what they're doing yeah are not getting it Catherine I'm hearing them getting it I, I think I do th- what I heard yesterday the sneering stuff yesterday that I heard was about the, the matchup rather than the individuals and and I I thought that was a you know a broadly okay okay Catherine Whittaker I mean and I disagree a little but we've I'm not I think we're making separate points. We always do this. All right, fine. Let's go on to something else. But but I loved how much there was on the line in that match. I lo- it was almost like watching a, a qualifying match. That's a good good comparison. Yeah, where it just fe- it felt like life and death. You know, it felt like there will never there will never be another moment like this. If I blow this, will I ever be able to live with myself? That was it definitely like what that. I was getting from Kevin Anderson. That was the Absolutely. body language that you were seeing. Yeah, and goodness me it meant I hate the phrase it means the world to him but it probably really does mean the world to Kevin Anderson certainly professionally this could be it this could be it there may never be another one of these there's no no question about that and I'm constantly told that he is the hardest working guy on tour and I fully believe that and he he oozes dedication Kevin Anderson and he's somebody that I think is very realistic about who he is as a tennis player and what his skills are and the fact that it it might not be you know headline blockbuster tennis all the time I don't think he cares that much so long as he gets the respect and and I think the people that matter are giving him the respect I think that's okay good okay well listen we're gonna we're gonna dial off now and uh, and go and watch the rest of the evening session uh, I'll be back a little bit later just just a final word to say if you if you haven't listened to, to Mary Carrillo yesterday, go and correct that immediately. Uh, we've never had a, a reaction quite like the uh, reaction we had to, to having Mary on our show. It was, it was such such a good good experience for us. Um, I mean, everybody's talking about it to us, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, nobody's reaction can be um, as chuffed as as mine to have her on, a, and yours, I know as well. But I but I am nonetheless doubly chuffed that that people are responding to her so brilliantly we've talked about how you know i know we don't exclusively have a uk audience on the podcast but it is largely a uk audience and we just don't get to to see her you know my my family who are now paid up members of the mary carillo fan club and trying to find a way to ask her on holiday with us um (laughs) Yeah, they were, I was telling I was telling them about the fact that we'd have Mary Carrillo on the show, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we've we've heard you mention her in the podcast, but we don't know who she is." And I had a text God, from Rosie. What a shame that is. Yeah, it's a shame. But anyway, well, we've introduced her on the tennis podcast, and I've already put out my latest invitation to her. And we're going to be doing uh, the Luge podcast from South Korea next. Do year. I get to be on that one? Just, well, if you can bone up on luging between now and then. Well, to be frank, if I can bone up on luging. <laughs> between now and then bone up on losing not a phrase I ever thought I'd say no no right well Catherine you go and do your work and have your dinner and I'll, I'll speak to this lot later when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting 
When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So they're the voices of the Argentine fans filtering out of the stadium after a fabulous win for one Martin Del Potro. Four sets it took him, but he did it in pretty decent style. That huge forehand of his, absolutely lethal tonight. And it was an erratic, out-of-sorts Roger for the majority of the match. And he, in the third set, had four set points in the third set tiebreak when it was one set all. And that really was the turning point of the match. Simon Briggs from The Telegraph and myself are now wandering around trying to avoid puddles here as the rain lashes down at Flushing Meadows. It's a silent, silent feel out here now, isn't it? Suddenly hushed quiet, Simon, but a pretty dramatic night. And yet again, the US Open will not stage Roger Federer against Rafael Nadal. I mean, I didn't really know what to make of that. I mean, a great performance by Del Potro, but still a surprisingly erratic performance from Federer for me. Yeah, it goes to show what level he's played at all year that we watched that and thought, hmm, he's not quite there. Because, yeah, I think from anybody else, we would have probably said he played pretty well. But when you've seen the guy perform at the level he has this year, and it just didn't seem that his mind was quite as clear as it should be. In the press conference, it's very interesting the way he talked about his match. He spoke about maybe not being quite uh, clear where he was serving. There was one really important point in the third set tiebreak he had set point on his own serve and he hits it to the forehand and you think well you don't do that against Juan Martin Del Potro if you're functioning 
on, on, on you know, full power. Not if you're Roger Federer, not if you have the number of options that this guy has. He, he also felt that he just never quite got into the tournament, he said. He, the three pillars, he said, my, my mind, my body and my game, they never quite came together. And that's not going to win you the tournament. I wasn't playing well enough. In some ways, I'm glad that Juan Martín was a better man tonight. He has a chance of winning this tournament. I wasn't good enough. I was never quite ready. He came in with the issues over his back. It wasn't as if it was you know, really locking him in place. He was able to move, but he just, all the way through the, the fortnight, he never got the rhythm that he was looking for, and not, certainly not the kind of rhythm he'd had in Wimbledon and at the Australian Open. No, and, and I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? When you look at his journey through the tournament, I think right at the start he had those two five-set matches, and we're all thinking he doesn't look quite right here this isn't going to last long then a little bit like Nadal he started to find his way and he got a couple of relatively straightforward wins and but all the way through it he had that sort of charm offensive in the post-match interviews particularly on court where he does make you start to think am I am I just imagining this I mean you know is he absolutely fine and, and I'm just not aware of it because he's he's talking as though everything's fine is was that just a was he just pulling the wool out over our eyes a little bit? It's hard to know. I mean, he's still probably keeping everything under a little bit of wraps. He's got um, more tournaments to come. He doesn't want to call a halt to his season, as Andy Murray did today. Uh, so he was saying that his back was getting better during uh, each match. Uh, it was just that the, the, uh, the, he'd been too far behind coming into the race, hadn't he? he? He'd given up too much of a head start to guys who'd come here with the preparation they wanted, with the matches they wanted, and he wasn't able to pull it back. Um, and he was very honest about that. He, he looked pretty uh, annoyed. He didn't enjoy some of the shots he missed tonight, and I think particularly that forehand volley on the penultimate point when he should have, um, 30 all it was, on Del Potro serve, Del Potro serving for the match. He hits a little dink return. It gets the ball he wants, the high forehand volley, puts it five metres long, and... Uh, this match point and Del Potro then thunderous forehand for the win. So. He was seething about that, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, you, you could see well, one of those things is, uh, I mean, Federer is as composed and balanced in a press conference situation as anybody. I mean, he did he did half an hour of talking in that press conference in three different languages and then still did his TV interviews. This is after he'd lost, well after midnight. But you, you could tell the way he was talking about those forehands that he was missing that he was, he was disgusted with himself, really. That, that you know, it, it was like, well, what, I mean, what chance do you have when you're missing shots like that? He, he, could, he couldn't really accept that as the, as the perfectionist that he is. Yeah, I was about to say, perfectionist is the word, and you don't get to be somebody who is the greatest uh, athlete on the planet, you know, in, in, most, in many of our views, without being a perfectionist. Um, it, was a, it was a complicated, conflicted feeling, because he, in the same sense, I'm not sure how, the, how much he blamed himself at the end of the day, because... He knew that he hadn't had the perfect preparation. Uh, it's just frustration for a guy who played at the level he has this year. And when he has a chance to put his feet up, he'll still sit down and think, well, um, one defeat and 18 victories in the slams in 2017, I'm taking that any day. Same time, Del Potro deserves enormous credit, doesn't he? I mean, when you consider where he was a couple of days ago, two sets to love Dan, he got three games on the board against Dominic Team. He almost retired in that match. And then to see him tonight just taking Federer on, just saying, I'm going to run for everything, and when that forehand is there, I tell you, you're going to pay. Yeah, the first time you thought he might do something special... I think it was in the first set, he, uh, the game only broke. He, just, he was on the full run to his right and he just launched one up the line. And it was just 
almost um, a physical impossibility that he could bring it down onto the back, onto the baseline, and he did. And Federer walked towards the ball, shaking his head, and he just thought that that's an interesting reaction there because he that one's really winded him. That was a a big punch, and it's gone right on the solar plexus. And Federer reacted in a really negative way. And I think if he'd been in his right mind at that stage, he would have gone okay. You know, let's see you do that another hundred, hundred times in this match. But, that, that is something that Del Potro can do, though, isn't it? He can, in, in a boxing analogy, he can be outboxed for six rounds and then he can just make you feel like he's leveled things with one blow, really, psychologically. Yeah, I mean, he, he's also deceptive because he moves around between points so slowly you think he might, might need a mobility scooter. And then suddenly, when, when, when it comes to the crunch, he's pretty. He shifts. Doesn't he? Those, I mean, those long legs—they cover the ground, and you, you hear them do a drop shot. It's not like he's uh, struggling to get to it; he's on it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, to play—I mean, when I have a cold, I stay in bed. You know, I mean, I feel like it's the apocalypse. And these guys—they get out there and they—they they play for three hours in front of twenty-three thousand people, like not doing anything. The guy—he was coughing into a towel at the change of ends, like his lungs were about to come up, and. I mean, you know, I, I just can't understand this. I mean, as, 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 a, as a huge exponent of man flu, I do not understand. It's not just him, is it? I mean, you hear Federer, you hear Murray quite often coming to, to, to press conferences during majors with a really hoarse, sore throat, and they just get on there and they do it. I, 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 the mind boggles. Their desire is, is unending, really. Uh, and uh, ju- just as a final point, I've seen a couple of Del Potro Nadal matches in the past, and they can be classics. This could be special. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that there have been uh, six chances for Federer and Nadal in the sense of them being one match away from playing each other in New York. And now, Fed- uh, now Del Pocho has thwarted them on two occasions. I-, I can't really think of having seen a Del Pocho and Nadal match. Well, I saw one here the, the year that uh, Del Pocho won the title. Yeah. I also saw an absolutely classic match I think in Indian Wells in the semi-finals I think it was and it was it was amazing watching them go hammer and tong the two of them I've seen a, two or three of their matches and it's so physical and to see at times in Del Potra's really on he's, you get this feeling that like he's he's King Kong and he can just pick up pick up other big men and just thrash them around um, but I, I don't know I, whether whether he can live with Nadal's movements we'll have to wait and find out yeah, he's like a gorilla because he always seems like a sort of, sort of peaceful herbivore, doesn't he? Until you provoke him, and then suddenly he sort of rips you apart in in two motions, doesn't he? He does. Well, it's going to be fun. It's raining heavily now here, Simon. Go and get on the bus. I've detained you long enough. It's one fifteen in the morning now, and. Uh, that is it for another edition of the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We'll have Catherine back with us tomorrow, but it will not feature tomorrow Roger Federer because he has been knocked out by the brilliance of Juan Martín Del Potro. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 